And welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Sports Cafe. I'm your host this week, Ian Gus. Thank you to everyone for being with us again for another week in Sports Talk. Uh, we have our typical cast of characters. The panelists are back again for another week of fun and excitement. Adam Rosen, Mike Mandel, Mike Weil. Excited to have you all here. Um, Adam, uh, I know you're back in the city now. You're enjoying uh, life back in the Big Apple? I am. My, my- my sports teams aren't making it easy for me. I think if it weren't for the Islanders' double overtime win last night, I probably wouldn't be here. I don't think I could stomach two elimination games in a single night, but uh, happy to be here and have at least one positive team to uh, talk about later in the show. Mike Weil, your teams are rolling. Um, lots, I'm sure you're going to be happy to discuss, although we, we heard a preview. Maybe you're not as high on the Bears as I would have thought, but uh, good to have you with us here this week. Listen, my White Sox are at the top of the American League. The Bears are one and zero, so I'm a happy camper. So let's let's see. We got a big game this week, Ian. We do. We'll talk about that a bit later. Mike Mandel from just outside Philadelphia. How are you tonight? I'm still trying to get over the Eagles' hangover from Sunday, but nonetheless, hanging in there. Um, Phillies have been starting to turn around a little, and I uh, I also appreciate that you used the Rocky theme for the intro. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a Philly connection there. Thought you'd enjoy that. So uh, tonight we're going to hit on the big three sports. Maybe we'll have some time for uh, some other topics as well. But I think for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever, we're going to start with the NBA just because it is uh, obviously deep into the playoffs and most timely given that we had two. uh, Well, one game was very exciting last night. The other was maybe more surprising or shocking than uh, entertaining. But we will start with that game, which was the Nuggets upsetting the Clippers. The Clippers blowing a 3-1 to one lead and just basically totally collapsing. And uh, last night with uh, just Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, just absolutely, I don't know if they were gassed or whatever the case was. I think they had zero points in the fourth quarter. Uh, even the games that they they were winning in almost every game. Adam, you probably know all the exact particulars since you're our resident Clippers fan. But after watching that performance and, and what went on in this series, I mean, are you, uh, you going to renege your fandom or what do you think is going to go on with that? <laughs> you know, I, I think the word gets thrown out a little bit too frequently, but there's no other way to describe it. What the Clippers did last night was a complete choke job. Uh, they, they choked it away. They, they had the series. They're not the first team to blow a 3-1 lead, but I think the way that they fell apart, you look at game five, they had a 13-point lead. We left in the third quarter. Percentage was 99.8% chance. And that's to close out the series in game five. Couldn't get it done. Game six, they're up 19 points with uh, 10 minutes left in the third quarter. That's a 99.6% win probability. Couldn't close them out. And then game seven, where, you know, all hands on deck, anything goes, they did have a lead in the first half and they, they couldn't hold on to it. Um, you know, it's not a lack of talent because on paper, the talent is all there, but something behind the scenes is a little fishy there because to see a team with this much talent that's clearly the better team than Denver, I'm sorry, they're the better team, to see them fall apart the way that they did, um, 
something just doesn't add up. And I, I, I cannot hear the nickname Playoff P anymore. You call him Pandemic P, call him Wayoff P, because that's what he was last night. I mean, taking three-pointers off the side of the basket, just a complete and total meltdown for the Clippers. Yeah, and I think, Mike Weil, I'm sure you were following the game. Where do you place the most blame? Is it on their star players? I mean, how much do you blame Doc Rivers? I know he's had a few of these collapses in, in his past. Is it a culture within the organization? I mean, obviously, you know, Steve Ballmer brought in a lot of excitement when he bought the team, but it seems like this is something they just can't get over the hump. I tend to not like to blame the coaches because they're not the ones that are playing. Some of what Doc Rivers did during game six and seven, you know, was it exactly the way that I would have played it? Maybe not necessarily, but what I noticed, especially in game seven, was, as Adam mentioned, Paul George was just not himself, and Kawhi Leonard also, both of them, did not play well. And I am because how well Kawhi are leading the road to a championship. Mike, Mike we were sure having a little audio issues there. They would be... You're having a few audio issues, so we. I think we were uh, getting part of your, all right, part well, of your point I'll, there. Maybe, maybe try dialing okay. uh, or <laughs> reconnecting. Um, in the meantime, Mike Mandel, obviously your team experienced a good amount of disappointment. Uh, the 76ers did in the bubble in the playoffs this year. So you probably have a little bit of a sense of the the Clippers' disappointment, although they were obviously much, uh, you know, more favored. Um, what did you see from that team, and and what do you think went on last night, and also the rest of the series? You know, I, I think the situations were a little bit different, right? Because in the Sixers got dominated by the Celtics the entire time. Um, it almost seemed like they were never in it. Whereas, you know, the Clippers, just like the Jazz before them had all but looked like they had put the Nuggets away. And I feel like they made the same mistake of thinking that they had put the Nuggets away. Um, apparently, it's the first time in history that any NBA team has come back twice from being down 3-1. to one. And, you know, I think that, you know, not so much about apportioning blame, but as far as, you know, what happened, I, I think... The team leaders, which include Kawhi and, and Paul George, um, as well as the coach, they they probably rested on their laurels more than they would ever want to admit. Um, you know, Kawhi is expected in particular to be the team leader, especially given what he did for for Toronto last season. You know, winning with the uh, the buzzer beater against the Sixers in the conference semis, um, knocking out the Bucks and Warriors, who were both favored to to beat the Raptors at the time. You just didn't see that from start to finish here. You know, and and I think there's going to be a lot of disappointment from the Clippers fan base. Adam could speak to some of that. Um, but it seemed like they simply underestimated the Nuggets. And, you know, their, their duo of uh, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, they haven't gotten, you know, a- as much fandom as some of the other bigger duos like LeBron and, and Anthony Davis or Giannis and Chris Middleton um, or even Embiid and Simmons. Um I feel like they were underrated for a lot of the season and a lot of the playoffs and the Clippers and and as well as the Jazz ended up paying the price for it. Now, I know Weil was saying that he wouldn't really put much of the blame on Doc Rivers, but I, I have to disagree there. This is actually the third time a Doc Rivers team has 
blown a 3-1 lead. He's actually done it in three different decades. He did it back in the 90s with Orlando. He did it in 2015 with the Clippers, and that, that too, was just an awful series. They were up 3-1 against the Rockets, and they also had like a 19-point lead in a closeout game, and they couldn't get it done. But I think a coach who has been through this before, look, yeah, look, the players are the ones who get the job done, but a coach who has experienced how easily you can blow a lead like that has to make sure his players are laser-focused and has to make sure that they go into that first closeout game with a killer instinct. The second you 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 take your foot your foot off the gas, uh, you're giving the other team a chance to, to, to claw their way back in the series, and that's a real pro- problem. They actually did the same thing with Dallas. I thought in their first round series, they let the Mavericks hang around a little bit longer than they should have. And I, I think I had mentioned that in a previous podcast how the Clippers have had an issue closing out games against f- inferior opponents. And unfortunately, it caught up to them here. The Clippers are now 0-8 all-time with a chance to clinch a conference finals game. They, of course, have ne- never been to a, a conference finals in their 50-year history. So this is just an enormously wasted opportunity. I think we were all really looking forward to a Lakers-Clippers series. And now, unfortunately, we won't get it. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of interesting kind of uh discussions after the game um paul george i'm sure many of you have seen his comments about saying that this was not a championship or bust year for them so that kind of plays into your point adam saying that that kind of dedication and mentality just i don't know if that's from the coach or the players but for whatever reason they didn't seem to be you know in a position where they maybe cared enough to even win a game seven i I think what was most disappointing and surprising I heard a report after the game that apparently there were multiple players who were so gassed during the game that they asked to be taken out in after three-minute spurts in a game seven with the chance to go to the conference finals. I don't know how that's possible. I know that guys were in and out of the bubble, but I mean they, they've been playing you know with the same group of guys for, for a number of weeks now, and to think that there are guys asking out of a game seven, not because of injury, because of, of, of fatigue, uh, is is very very discouraging. It, it really, and I hate to use the word, it, it makes them come off as 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 soft. Yeah, and you can't use it as an excuse, given that the the opposing players are going through the exact same thing. They're in the bubble too. They're also in the midst of a seven game series, so you, you really can't use that as an excuse this time. And Mike Weil, you're back with us. Hopefully, uh, audio issues are figured out. It's. It definitely seems like maybe they just didn't realize like how this is going to be a stain on their reputation no matter what they do the rest of their career you know it's just it's not a good look and I know the the, the Clippers are in a in a spot now where they you know in a sense overpaid for some of their talent and they have very little picks or cap space so it really needs to be about winning now what do you what do you think's going on with them um, you know in the next year or two I see them coming back strong. I I think to Adam's point about the conditioning and maybe blaming the coaching for some of it, what I said, and I don't know how much of it came through, but initially I really put this on Paul George and Kawhi because they're the leaders of that team. And I think that this especially is a stain for Paul George's reputation because he hasn't won yet. Kawhi carried the Raptors on his back last year. And I think he kind of was in a hangover mode. It it seemed like, especially watching the last couple games of this series, the hunger wasn't the same as it seemed to be last year. And it could just be he was exhausted, but part of it is you have to make sure, as a professional athlete, it's your job, you're getting paid millions of dollars a year, 
especially with the max contracts, it's your job to stay conditioned during the pan- during the pandemic. So, I, you know, you can say Doc Rivers messed up coaching, but Adam, I would blame the players first. And if Rivers was running them into the ground, you could make that argument. But remember, they didn't play for months leading up to this. So I think it's on the players to stay conditioned. So I'm blaming Kawhi and Paul George. That being said, I think that there's enough talent on the roster for them to make a run at at least the conference finals next year. I'm not seeing them dropping off. And the major difference with Steve Ballmer's ownership is that he seems to want to win at all costs. So he'll find a way, if it doesn't work next year, to make sure the Clippers are in contention one way or another. And it's, to me, the polar opposite of what you had with Donald Sterling. So, Adam, I I think from an outside observer, I know it's probably really frustrating right now, but I see them having too much talent to regress next year. I think what's most concerning, though, is you, you've already got people talking about, oh, well, these guys are free agents after next season. The Clippers have mortgaged pretty much the the entire decade on these two guys. I mean, they, they gave up three first-round draft picks and, their, and the right to swap picks from now through 2027. So they basically don't own their first-round pick until 2027 well, will it's they a, make it's a disaster can you they ha- sign them i mean well they- yeah i mean i, I look what, what, if paul george is saying that this wasn't a championship or bust year i'm going to assume he me he says that because he's planning to, to to be with the clippers long term because if he ends up bolting a year from now it's a total disaster yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a long off season or potentially short. We don't know exactly when the next uh, season's starting, but we'll have plenty of time to dissect them further. And on the other side of the ball, how about the Nuggets? I mean, I think they were probably the least likely team that anyone would have thought would make it to the Western Conference Finals. Obviously, um, you know, they're kind of a, a team that people have said be there two or three years away, but their time definitely arrived early. Mike Mandel, what do you think their chances are against the Lakers? Um, I think everyone's kind of counted them out the last few rounds, and um, be curious to see you know how far you think they can actually go. Well, the, the, they'll certainly be better than most people would have expected to, um, given what they've proven they could do to teams that they are the underdog against. Um, and, and I'm looking at the, um, the the last series against the Clippers, and. Uh, I feel like defensively, the Nuggets were rock solid. Um, in, in the last four games of that series, um, three out of four, they held the uh, the Clippers to under 100. The one was, I think, 105. So, you know, the Lakers, who were largely built on overwhelming offense, um, could have a lot more trouble than they expect with the Nuggets. Um, that said, I am not personally ready to say that the Nuggets will go through with the upset. I think the Lakers will beat them. I think it'll take... Um, you know, probably six or seven at this point. Um, I don't know that the Nuggets are quite good enough to, to overtake the Lakers, who have defeated their prior competition with relative Eve so far. Mike Wilde, do you think the, the Lakers are far and away better than the Nuggets? I mean, it's it's something that before the season or even a few weeks ago, the answer would be a definite yes. But just to see the heart of that team, it, it seems in a way unmatched. Listen, my man, Arturis Karnaschovas, helped build this team. And potential Bulls head coach Wes Unsell Jr. is a defensive mastermind of the Denver Nuggets. So with Jamal Murray's emergence as a star, Nikola Jokic's 
continued elite play in the playoffs, and he's only getting better, it seems. I can't count them out. I think that the Lakers are more talented just because when you have LeBron, AD, etc., you have the upper hand in most, if not any, series. But I don't count the Nuggets out. I would be surprised if they won the series, but if they can beat the Clippers, I think that they can handle the Lakers, especially they've been down 3-1 to one in both of their playoff series, and they've showed that never-say-die attitude. So, you know, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say probably 60-40 Lakers over Nuggets, but I don't think the Nuggets are as much of a long shot as a lot of people think. Adam, would you agree? Uh, I, I don't agree. I, I think the Lakers will win pretty easily. Um, I did actually pick the Clippers to win in seven, so I, I was expecting the series to go seven. I, I didn't think that it would play out the way that it did as far as Clippers taking a 3-1 lead. But um, look, Denver's good, but they're very heavily reliant on two guys right now in, in Jokic and and Jamal Murray. And the Lakers are, are kind of similar in, in AD and, and LeBron, so obviously you take the Lakers duo over over Denver. But I think... If anything, this Clippers series c- kind of serves as a wake-up call for the Lakers. So if at any point they were doubting or underestimating their opponent for this next round, I think seeing the Clippers go down will make sure the Lakers are sharp and, and ready to go for game one. I think the fact that they were able to wrap up their last series in five games, they've got uh, fresh legs. Um, so I think they'll be ready. I see it. I think Denver could win a game or two, but... Um, Lakers are not blowing a 3-1 lead against Denver. <laughs> not happening. Yeah, and I I would uh, kind of agree more with the Mikes. I think it'll be a long series. I think, you know, I could see the Lakers coming out hot, like you said, Mike, in game or Adam in game one on Friday night, having that extra rest. But I feel like Denver, you know, it's house money for them. I mean, no one expects them to get this far. I mean, I even heard, you know, Murray in the postgame interview last night of just there's no pressure on them. They're just having fun and Oftentimes, that's you know that can really there's no pressure on them. There's you know the the weight of the world in a sense on LeBron and, and the Lakers at this point. Um, so I could see it going six or seven, but yes, I I would agree that I would end up picking the Lakers in in a longer series. So um, that's in the West. Moving over to the East, which um, I know one of our panelists uh, you know had had a very strong pick with the Miami Heat um, getting this far and and watching Game One between the Heat and the Celtics last night. Uh, it was really exciting, especially obviously towards the end with uh, the big block and, and the Heat pulling it out by, by two over the, uh, over the Celtics. Um, Tatum, you know, went in for the dunk and, and Bam uh, said no to him. So uh, that was super exciting. And I enjoyed watching that, that game. And curious, Mike Mandel, um, I know you picked the Heat. I think you were the only one of us to, to actually get this far. Uh, where... How far do you see them going? Are they going to win it all? Well, and, and this is where I'm ready to make the bold prediction that I said I wasn't yet ready to last week. I know uh, I, I had said that I wanted to modify my original forecast um, where I said the Heat would lose the uh, conference finals to, to say that they will win, but I am not ready to make the bold prediction that the Heat are going to stun the Lakers in the NBA finals and go all the way this year. You know What I see in them is a team that has a chip on their shoulder. And, I, you know, me as a Philly fan, I love seeing that. In fact, it reminds me a lot of the Eagles. Uh, Jimmy Butler in particular definitely plays with a chip on his shoulder. I think that is what has propelled him to get this far 
in the playoffs and, and with, I don't want to say relative ease, but, you know, having only lost, um, what is it, one game to date. Um, and I don't see them stopping anytime soon. I mean, watching last night in particular, they were down double digits in the fourth quarter to not only force the overtime, but to ultimately win it, you know, A, on the uh, the awesome block by Adebayo on Tatum and then by Jimmy Butler's and one to, to sort of seal the deal for them. Um, I, I see the, the Miami Heat as a runaway tra- train, and I know a lot of people are going to feel otherwise, the same they did against the Bucks, but I just don't see anything stopping them at this point. And Adam, to your point about the, the two Western Conference teams very reliant on two players, I think the, the Heat are a little bit deeper. I mean, you could say about the, the Celtics too, but with Butler, Crowder, Crowder Adebayo, um, Dragic, you know, it's a little bit, they're a little bit more balanced, which I guess can help when, you know, one or two guys is having an off night. Yeah, Miami's got a lot of depth. Boston has got a lot of depth, uh, which is why I think this will be if the Celtics and Hayward from the start, um, you know, Boston would, would obviously be in a much better position. So I'm actually picking the Celtics to beat Miami, but I think Miami probably has the best chance of beating the I mean, Miami can shoot the three. They're very physical. Um, I could see them matching up, matching up well with the Lakers. Um, but I'm going to pick the Celtics in a, in, in seven. Um, I, I do like their depth. I, I love their coaching. Both, both teams are really are, are very well coached. Um, it, it should be a great series. Look, uh, you know, I, I think both teams are going to trade blows. I think they they've both. Um, advanced with well Miami's advanced with relative ease they haven't really had a challenging series I think Boston has with their seven game series against Toronto they're they're battle tested um so I'm I'm gonna still pick the Celtics to win in seven despite the game one loss Uh, I don't know what the deal with Hayward is if he's coming back um but not not quite ready yet to uh to, to make a finals prediction but I'm gonna say Lakers and Celtics and while, um, do you think either of these teams has a chance against the Western Conference winner? I don't know. I think that, as I said last week, the winner of the Bucks Heat series is going to win the East. So I stand by that. If the Heat do get to the finals, I mean, as Mike said, our boy, Jimmy Butler, ex-Bull, ex-Sixer, playing with a, like a man on a mission and watching him against LeBron in the playoffs in the past, he matches up really well with LeBron. He gives him fits, and defensively, he's a big, strong guy and can handle him. So I think if any team could beat the Lakers, potentially it's the Heat because you have Butler on LeBron, and then defensively you can mix and match at power forward and center against AD. I think that's where you're going to run into issues potentially. But their depth is what stands out to me that, as uh, Ian, you said, and Adam, they have Dragic and Tyler Hero, who's been playing great. And you go down the line and... Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson, right. D3 standout. Exactly. So even, and you can laugh about it, but they're all just playing great as a team. And... Eric Spolstra, when LeBron went to Miami, everyone was like, oh, Eric Spolstra is just some guy that's inheriting the big three. But now, over the past almost 10 years, it's hard to believe, he's one of the best coaches in the league. So he's done a fantastic job with a young Heat team, combining them with Jimmy Butler to make this juggernaut. So 
I see them beating the Celtics. You asked me, Ian, if I see them beating the Lakers. I can't say that I see them being, you know, favorites, but I would certainly put it the odds as high as I would for the Nuggets. I would say that, you know, 60-40 is reasonable for the Heat. I, I see the Heat and the Nuggets sort of this uh, similar up-and-coming scrappy team. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if it gave them a run. It would surprise me if the Heat beat the Lakers, but I think that it's possible. The Lakers don't have the three-point shooting that it and even Boston. So, you know, they, they, they obviously have LeBron, they have AD, but you, you kind of wonder if a team like that gets hot in the finals, they're making their three-point shots. Can the Lakers, with, with all the injuries that the Lakers have and guys who opted out, um, do they have the firepower to keep up? I guess we'll, we'll find out. But I do want to make one other point, which is just to comment on how remarkable it is to see two franchises in Boston, Miami, back in the conference finals. It's like we're back in, in, in the early 2010s with uh, the, the LeBron, Bosch, Wade, and the Celtics was KG, Garnett, and Allen. You think, um, you know, seven, eight years later, both of those what teams... About, what about Paul Pierce? You're forgetting the truth. And, oh, uh, who, uh, you said I KG, said, Garnett. I wasn't going to say Oh, uh, sorry. Okay, yes, good, good catch. Uh, and to, to think that both of those teams are completely revamped and they're back at the top uh, in, in the Eastern Conference. It, and it really just goes to show the difference between the, the franchises that are run well and teams like the Knicks, who never, despite having a lottery pick every single year, can never figure out a way to get themselves out of the basement. And I think to my point, the, uh, the one thing to stay consistent in Miami across the, the decade is the coach. He's been able to consistently keep him in a competitive state. Well, that's state. Pat Riley. Continuity. Yep. That, yep. that can help when you have the right people running. And it's and true. to your point too, Adam, the Lakers. I mean, obviously with, you know, Kobe for so many years and now again with that core, they are yeah. poised to win a championship. So Yeah, it, it, it took it, it took the Lakers a little bit longer and they basically had to win the lottery in in LeBron committing to sign with them. But yeah, that that too. So we'll be keeping a close eye on the NBA playoffs as we get closer to the finals. Um, looking forward to that. But moving on to our next topic uh, is baseball. So before we get to the action on the field, we wanted to cover the major off-the-field news that was finalized yesterday, long rumored, I think, for one or two weeks. And that's what's going on with the postseason this year with the neutral site games starting in the DS and then through the World Series. The wild card rounds will still be held the higher seed. Uh, then we are going to go to kind of the bubble format, and we can talk about what exactly that looks like because it's not the same type of bubble as we see in the NBA. But uh, we will have the CS in Arlington, Texas, and San Diego, and the World Series in Arlington uh, in the Rangers' new stadium. So it's kind of a, a flip-flop with the NL teams playing in AL parks and the AL teams playing in NL parks. I know uh, a bunch of us have thoughts on this. So Mike Weil, why don't you lead it off? Do, do you think this is a good idea? Is it necessary? Um, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I, I like the idea for this year. I think that given COVID-19 and you see the success that the NBA and the NHL have had, I think once you reach playoffs in baseball, you want to minimize any risk. So I know the NFL so far has been pretty well protected, even though they're not in a bubble, but it's only been one week. So I like the idea of having the games in warm weather cities. 
and also in the case of the Texas stadiums, uh, a dome stadium, so you'll likely minimize the the risk of any delay and hopefully of COVID. The one thing I thought was interesting was the fact that they're proposing playing these games straight through. So normally in the playoffs, especially with the DS and the CS, you have off days built in. And what they're proposing is to go straight through, which is different. And so it it changes the strategy because you're going to see teams have to stretch out their pitching staff more and go to more guys. So that could be interesting to see. Um, but in terms of the bubble question, I think it's a good idea. I hope that it'll minimize the risk and it'll make for a continuous and non-delayed playoff. And Mike Mandel, do you think this bubble is actually going to work? Um, obviously, it's not the same as the NBA where they're all within a, a singular complex. So I guess they're going to have like security at the hotels to ensure that players don't leave. I know there's been discussions about what's going on with the families. Um, so do you think the bubble actually hold? You know, it, it sounds like it will because they're saying that they're, they are going to test all the family members that, that come visit. It's going to be the same protocol for everybody. And they're quarantining them, right? I believe so. I think that's the plan is that, you know, if they're coming, they're staying, if I'm not mistaken. And, and they're being tested the same way that the players are. So, you know, I think given the success that you've seen in both the NBA and the NHL, I think you'll see it similar here because it sounds like once you get to the bubble, um, you know, you you should be in good shape to keep away coronavirus. Now, you know, the, the risky part always is getting to the bubble itself because you know, travel – it tends to be a somewhat higher risk area, but you know, as long as we can get them there, um, I think it'll, I think it'll hold. And you know, like Mike said, uh, excellent idea because I know you know the regular season, when there were outbreaks on certain teams, you were able to postpone games um, a significant amount of time, and because it was the regular season, you could kind of sort of get away with it because you could simply make them up with double headers later. But you really can't do that in the playoffs. The playoffs have to be continuous. Um, you, you cannot shake it up by, you know, having these big gaps um, between games for some teams and not for others. Um, so I, I think whatever you can to minimize the risk, make it happen. Um, you know, the one thing about the location, and I, I've said this before, is, you know, I, I understand the, the desire to play in warm weather, but why they would go to a COVID hotbed, um, that, that's the part that's a little bit suspect to me. Um you know, if, you'd think that if they can hold it down in Orlando, that they could probably do the same in Dallas, but um, or, or Arlington. But I, I, you know, why, why take that chance when there are other low-risk areas that are available in either warmer weather or dumb stadiums? My guess would probably have to do with what Mike Weil was saying, which is they're trying to cram in so many games without off day. So if we start getting rainouts or even snow outs, you know, if they played in the Northeast or the Midwest, then they're in trouble. Um, but Adam, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, um, not only in the cities that were selected, the bubble, and also there's some rumblings about potentially having fans in for the World Series and potentially the championship rounds too. Yeah, as far as the bubble is concerned, I think it should be fine. I think what's very encouraging is, first of all, baseball has really avoided any major outbreaks. We had the two incidences earlier in the season, but for the most part, it's been okay. And this is with teams getting on planes every couple days and, and traveling to different cities you also look at the nfl where all you know they, they don't have a bubble and you know half the teams are traveling and they didn't have a single positive test in week one so the fact that 
you already have a low number of positive tests to begin with. Now you're taking them and putting them into a somewhat controlled bubble. I get it. You know, you have some family members coming in. I'm not really too concerned about that. I think it should be fine. Um, I did want to uh, go back to the earlier point. We, we were talking about the, the new format where there's no days off in between the series. And I do agree with Mike. I think it's, um, I think it's a good idea. I, I know that baseball is looking to get through the season as quickly as possible, just like all the other sports are in the postseason. Um, and I think that playing on consecutive days will help test the depth of each team. So whereas normally you could probably get away with three, maybe four starting pitchers. Uh, now you're, you're forced to use your roster a little bit more. So I think the chances of the, the best deepest team emerging is a little bit greater. I think the one gripe I would have if I was a fan of a contending team, which I am not, but all of you guys are, is the fact that this move was announced after the trade deadline. So this is something that baseball could have decided on earlier. But I think if I'm a team of a fan with maybe three really good starting pitchers, going into the playoffs, I would have said, okay, you know what, the, the back of our rotation is no good, but we can we can rely on our three horses. But now the, the importance of the fourth and fifth starter is, is magnified that much more. And I think some of these teams might have considered acquiring another arm for the rotation if they had known that the playoff format was going to be you're playing three straight games. Yeah, it's a great point. And not only from the contender standpoint, but the teams that are not contending, I mean, they could have maybe gotten more for their back-end rotation players that either they didn't trade or their haul wasn't so great. And I would agree with you. I mean, I I think it's a huge advantage, and it's something that, in a sense, you know, you couldn't really plan for. I mean, going to the playoffs, many teams in the past really have three good starters and a really strong bullpen. And that's what's worked in the past. And now only, what, a week and a half before the playoffs are going to start, you basically implemented this new rule where it's there's nothing you can do about it. And I understand everyone's in the same position, so you can't get too upset. But, um, you know, to, to everyone's point about the warm weather cities and, and everything like that, that makes it me, to me, I don't really understand why you have to end by a certain date. Why not? You know, maybe you don't need as many off days, but I think you could still build in, a couple um and it's not like you have to finish by october 27th or whatever the last date of game seven of the world series is um so it is a big competitive advantage um mike wild is there a team that sticks out to you that has a really deep rotation that you think is going to benefit from this new format i mean i i was going to bring up the point before i answer that question that you guys both hit it on the head i think the trade deadline it really affected teams both buyers and sellers because it hurts the teams that like for example my team the white Sox, they have two top end starters giolito and keichel and then dane dunning's been awesome since they called him up so he would line up as the third starter and then you have so much unproven because dylan cease has been erratic the back of the rotation's a mess and they were banking on the bullpen now they can't do that I'm thinking they would have traded for lance lynn i think that the team that in the american league at least that this helps is the rays I think that the Rays are so flexible in terms of how they built their roster and that they can have openers. They could have, you know, they can go four deep in terms of starters. Um, the the Rays are the team, I think, that this helps because it makes their deep roster that much more important. Um, Ian, I was going to ask you with the Yankees, they're having injury problems, but if you get everyone healthy... 
is their rotation. Do you think this this helps or hurts the Yankees? Well, I think this is a we can transition into talking about our teams with the home team check in, and I'll I'll start. Um, to answer your question, the Yankees are in better shape than they were the last two weeks. The problem, though, is, Mike, they don't have any starting pitchers coming back. Paxton was kind of their only potential guy, and he's had a couple of setbacks. He was put on the 45-day IL today. So I don't. it sounds like maybe he can come back in the bullpen, but that would only be in the wild card or later round, so you can't rely on him. I think the most promising update, well, I guess there's two. One I'm very skeptical about. One is Jay Happ has been surprisingly uh, pretty effective his last few starts after being one of the worst pitchers in baseball um, the last uh, two years or so. And the other more exciting news is one of their top prospects, Debbie Garcia, has been great um, since they called him up over the last month or so. So there, there's some positive developments. And then on the hitter front is where the reinforcements are returning. Judge and Stanton are now back. Uh, Gio Urshela is back. Labor Torres has been off and on injured, but supposedly he's getting over his latest ailment. Um, and then you have a guy like Luke Voigt, who he's le- he's leading the league in home runs. <laughs> I think he has 19 home runs now. Um, I saw a stat. It's like him, Mantle, or it's Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, then Luke Voigt <laughs> um, in Yankee Good history, getting to 19 home runs by the 50th game in the season. So he's ahead of every other player, including A-Rod. Um, so you have a guy like that, and then out of nowhere, when Gary Sanchez is batting, I think, 120 and is basically about to get benched, Kyle Higashioka, who's in his first uh, full Major League season as a backup catcher at age 29 or 30, has hit three home runs tonight. <laughs> totally wow. out of nowhere. Um, so, again, they're playing the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays have been good this year, so I don't want to you know, kind of caveat it too much, but um the yankees are now you know in a better position they're in a clear second place i think for me i'd, I'd want to play the twins in the first round for obvious reasons i believe that's how they'd be lined up um if they finish second right now so um that would be my preference over the white Sox or the rays but um mike mandel i know your team is uh in a in a close one tonight with uh the mets um i guess the game is now tied what what do you what do you think um their chance as we had toward the playoffs. Uh, it seems like it's a case of the Phillies being the Phillies. We, we've seen from them a lot of inconsistency over the past few years, and, and 2020 is no exception. After coming off of a, a couple of remarkable weeks in which they were you know, winning five to six games to one, um, yeah, they, they'd go ahead and drop uh, five out of seven to the Marlins. Um, I want to say about like one-third of the Marlins' wins have come against the Phillies this season. And, um, you know, they beat the Mets last night. Now they're in a tight one with them where it seems like the bullpen might might possibly blow it. Um, you know, I, I think as far as their chances to get into the playoffs, they're still probably pretty good. Um, you know, given that they're, you know, at this point I think they're in like the sixth or the seventh spot and they seem fairly secure, you know, if they can keep playing the way that they're playing, even with the inconsistencies. Um, they'll probably make it. But, I, you know, they certainly would not benefit from – the um the proposed format of having a lack of off days and I you know I, I get why it's being proposed um, despite the warm weather I think the players just want to get out of there I think they've heard about um, you know the bubble in the NBA and NHL and the player fatigue and want to be in there as little time as possible but it's not going to be- benefit the Phillies who have a very shallow rotation only really two pitchers that they can completely rely but isn't upon. their bullpen even more shallow it is. Um, you know, they reinforced some of that 
during the trade deadline, and it's it's had some effect. Um, you know, we haven't seen them blow quite as many games as they did in the beginning of the season. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, really both sides are shallow, but I think in, in particular the starters, having only two that they can, you know, consistently rely upon, that's not going to benefit them at all. Um, you know, I, I don't know that they necessarily would have done anything different at the trade deadline because I think they're, they're sort of they, – they, they were kind of half-assing it. Like they – they bought to an extent, but they weren't willing to, to gamble everything. Um, I think their goal seems to be to be competitive rather than to be the champions this season, um, based on their moves. Um, the, the thing that interested me most about um, the, the decision for, for the lack of off days was was the timing. I know you guys touched on this, but also the fact that the players and owners they all seem to be in agreement. So I'm I'm, I'm sort of curious as to. What some of those discussions were, um, especially for the teams that you know maybe could have made additional moves before the trade deadline, like the White Sox. Like you know, I, I, I'm curious as to what their take was on this because it, it it seems like it was pretty universally agreed upon that you know whatever costs there are to having um, you know no off days that they, they seem to really rally around the idea that we're going to get out of this bubble as soon as we possibly can. Right, I mean, Mike, not only that, I was just thinking about it today. The White Sox play 17 straight games in 17, 17 games in 17 days to end the season. They had two off days. They had one off day Monday and one off day Thursday of last week. And since then, from Friday until the end of the season, they're going to have games. So if they have games 17 straight days, best case scenario, have a day or two off going into the playoffs they're just going to be. I think it's only one day for the AL. Straight. I think. Yeah, I think so, the AL starts so you, the day before the NL. So you're going to have 17 straight games, then a day off, and then you go right into the playoffs. So to me, that's crazy, and it definitely hurts the White Sox. But it it is what it is. I mean, it's it's kind of it's it sounds like all of these organizations are on the same page where they want to do this as quickly as possible, both to get out of the bubble as quickly as possible, but also to avoid any outbreaks if god forbid in the country there's a spike in the fall like everyone's predicting and with the flu season coming so i think that it's a combination of factors and adam your mets uh i guess you had uh, some great news a couple nights ago with the ownership change if you want to touch on that yes, thank um, you for leading with the, the field <laughs> product or lack thereof yeah look um as I said before, I would gladly sacrifice this season if I knew it meant that Steve Cohen was going to buy the team. And fortunately, it looks like that's going to be the case. He uh, has reached an agreement to purchase 95% of the team. At this point, they're just waiting on approval from at least 23 of the owners. It's a little bit unclear when that's going to happen. I'm hoping it'll be before November so that he has enough time to um, you know, bring in his own guys. And I, I don't know if he wants to change a GM, but look in, in sports, it's not a coincidence that all of the winning franchises have great ownership. And for the Mets, it has been among the worst, uh, not just in New York, but in, in all the professional sports for all of my well, life. I'd argue with you, not the worst in New York. Uh, yes, well, my Knicks. other teams have to choose. Yes, the Knicks and the Jets, uh, <laughs> and even the Islanders before before uh, uh, Ledecky came in. I mean, they had a lot of the same issues, and you've seen the the stability in that franchise now. They're perennial playoff contenders. So I think if you're a Mets fan, look, it's been a really tough year. Um, but 
the fact that you have not only new ownership, but a guy who uh, is worth um, more than the top, the next three richest owners in baseball. He he has more money than all of them combined. So I'm thrilled. It's been a tough year. Uh, I'm on to 2021 already. I know the Mets are somehow only two and a half, three games out of a playoff spot, despite being six games under 500. So I guess there is a chance they could still make it in. But uh, at this point, I'm just rooting for the agreement to go through without any hiccups. And for Steve Cohen, Uncle Stevie, as we all, uh, as Mets fans affectionately refer to him as, uh, looking forward to him being in the big boy chair and, and making some big boy decisions. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Two last stats I just wanted to share based on our conversation uh, on baseball. Um, the Phillies this year have nine saves and 11 blown saves. So that's <laughs> never, never uh, a good stat to read off about any team. And uh, Kyle Higashioka, who had three home runs tonight, his fourth at bat or one of his four at bats, he hit it to the warning track. So he was very close. Um, before tonight, he had... Uh, uh, now I lost it, but I, he's had way more home runs in the last two days than he's had in the rest of his career. So, uh, if anyone wants some uh, fantasy catcher, maybe down the stretch, might be someone to take a look at. With Gary Sanchez being uh, basically riding the bench at this point, so uh, maybe next week we'll make our playoff predictions if we're going to take uh, the week off in a couple weeks. So something we may want to discuss further. I know uh, there's a lot more to discuss in the world of baseball, but. Uh, as we are running down to the end of tonight's show, we're going to move on to our last topic, which is the NFL. Um, again, we could probably spend a whole show on the NFL. Normally, this time of year, you'd have the NFL and baseball. Uh, but week one last week, lots of exciting games. Um, a pretty good amount of surprises, I thought, too. Um, Mike Mandel, I would think your biggest surprise is your team's uh, result and also the way that game played out against the Washington football team. Well, I don't know that it was the biggest surprise of the entire week, but it certainly was the biggest disappointment for me. I mean, the the, the way you saw the game unfold, uh, you know, the offensive line was, was absolutely horrendous. It seemed like they just let the Washington front four run all over them. Um, Wentz did not adjust to that. He held on to the ball for way too long, despite the amount of times he kept getting sacked time after time. And, and it almost looked like that the defense gave up in the second half. Um and another thing to me that is just shocking is that, you know, apparently the, the training and medical staff that should have gotten fired in the offseason were still mostly retained, which I don't get because you know, coming out of week one, we already have an injury report that's, uh, you know, larger than the uh, the rest of the three NFC East teams combined. Um, you know, but that being said, um, the Eagles' last couple seasons have always found a way to beat the odds somehow, even if they have to go deep into their practice squad. So, Maybe not all is lost, but nonetheless, it was a huge embarrassment to, you know, I think the entire city. Um, but, you know, I think there were a couple of bigger surprises, one of which was the Jags taking down the Colts. And, and when I had said that the Colts were, um, you know, in a transition right now, I didn't think that they would go down to the Jags. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't watch that whole game. I saw some of the highlights and, you know, I, I got to say, Gardner Minshew is a very entertaining quarterback. Um uh, I feel like his style of play, it, it reminds me of the replacements in Keanu Reeves' character. He, he just got a very freewheeling, <laughs> you know, sp spontaneous style of play. Um, and and you, you saw that on display during the game. And 
Another thing I noticed about him is a lot of quarterbacks, after they throw a touchdown pass, they'll get off the field. Minshew does not. He goes up there and celebrates with the rest of the guys. Um, so that, 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 I think, was the big surprise um, coming from week, week, week one for me. Adam, your team uh, maybe got off to the, the start you would have predicted pretty quickly, so I assume that was not a surprise, but how about for you? Are we sensing a theme here? I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to talk about a real football team that stood out to me, and that's the New England Patriots. I, I, I know I had picked them to win the division, and I think, Ian, you did as well, but I was really, really impressed with how they looked. Uh, they have a lot of players who opted out on the defensive end, Defense looked really good. They only gave up 11 points to Miami. But to me, seeing Cam Newton being coached by Bill Belichick is is so fascinating to watch and see how that unfolds. You saw he, he ran for two touchdowns, which I don't think Tom Brady ever had two rushing touchdowns um, in a game in his Pats career. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that, but um, certainly not in the manner in which uh, <laughs> Newton ran for his. And I kind of wonder whether those were play calls that Belichick made or maybe Cam was improvising, but... I think in Newton, look, he's not the, the caliber of player that Brady was, although Cam did win an MVP. But at the same time, he has such a different skill set than Brady does that I just think it'll be so exciting to watch him play in this structured Patriots system. So I know I had predicted the Patriots to be good this year, but I think seeing how impressive they looked in week one, it was against Miami, but just seeing you know, Cam in this new system to me was one of the highlights of week one. How about for you, Mike? Well, what stood out in week one? Uh, there were two games in particular that stood out aside from the Colts, Jaguars, and Eagles, Redskins. Mike, I agree with you. I think the Colts were the biggest upset of week one, biggest surprise. But we talked last week about how the NFC West was such a up-for-grabs loaded division. And I think that the Arizona Cardinals made a really big statement with their win over the 49ers. I think Kyler Murray is going to make that next step this year. He's unbelievable to watch. Someone on sports radio in Chicago compared him to Allen Iverson in that he's a small guy who can do incredibly athletic things, and he has a penchant for avoiding contact. And Kyler Murray possesses sort of that Russell Wilson ability to get away from would-be tacklers and improvise and make these great throws. So Arizona... By beating San Francisco, who I said was going to win the division this year, really stood out to me. Also, I enjoyed watching the Rams-Cowboys game. It was very entertaining. It was a close game, and the Rams won. So, again, the NFC West, you have all those teams looking like they could win the division. So the Rams look like their version that was the 2018 Rams with the great defense that took them to the Super Bowl and enough offense. So NFC West, for me, was the most interesting thing to watch week one, aside from the upsets like you guys touched on with Indy beating, Indy losing to Jacksonville and Washington beating Philadelphia. So, um, and I don't know if you want me to touch on the Bears. The Bears made an awesome comeback. Let's, yeah, let's, but, uh, let's finish off with the kind of the surprises, and then we'll, we'll dive into the individual team check-ins, and we'll combine that with um, our new segment, which is going to be some picks. So uh, just one other game I wanted to touch on, which 
was a surprise to me. I picked the Vikings to win the, the division, um, and they got you know handled very thoroughly by the by the Packers. Uh, gave up 43 points in Minnesota. Rodgers, uh, you know, came back. I know Adam, you made the point last week. A guy uh, who has a chip on his shoulder now with his backup being picked in the first round came out through four touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, and you know the Vikings. I just did not look like themselves. Obviously, it's only one week, but um, that was a surprising result, as were many of the others that we we touched on um, in the round the horn section of the, the NFL talk. Um, so we'll keep an eye on on Rodgers and the Packers, see if they can continue that in in the coming weeks. So our last segment um, within NFL is going to be our local team check in, and the way we're going to do it is we'll go around the horn, not only give some thoughts on your team but also look forward to the team's matchup in the following week so in this week it'll be obviously week two um so we'll start with mike weil i know you're chopping at the bit to talk about your bears who had the come from behind victory that maybe shouldn't have been a victory in week one um and uh, going into week two against my team the giants so why don't you give your thoughts on the bears and also your pick first of all i'd like to thank deandre swift because I, I feel my heart goes to him. I know that he's a NFL player, but to drop a wide-open touchdown pass, if you haven't seen it, pull up the clip, because the Lions should have won that game. I give congratulations, if you want to call them that, to Mitch Trubisky. He did a great <sighs> job leading the Bears' offense from down, I think it was 23-7 to to in the fourth quarter to a comeback win. I just want to see him play like that the whole game. I don't understand why he kind of goes into this good Mitch mode when the game's on the line. I think Matt Nagy needs to tailor the offense more toward Mitch Trubisky because if he wants to play the system he wants to play, Nick Foles should be the quarterback. But you have Mitch Trubisky who's shown that when he's out of the pocket improvising, running a two-minute scheme, he's... He's the best in that situation. So regardless of what you want to call him, Mitch Mitchell, I think he might go by Mitchell now, as Ian just suggested. So Mitchell Trubisky, or Adam suggested. So Mitchell Trubisky did lead the Bears to a comeback and pay Allen Robinson, please. As far as week two against the Giants, and Ian, are we doing this against the spread? Yeah, why don't you give your, your pick against the spread? Okay, so the spread right now, the one I'm seeing is the Bears are giving five and a half points. The Giants are plus five and a half. The Bears are minus five and a half. It's hard to take the Bears when you're having to give five and a half, but I'm going to be a homer and say that given the Bears came back against the Lions and I see the Giants sort of on that same level, I'll take the Bears giving the points. I mean, if Trubisky is awful then the Giants could very well win the game straight up because I like Daniel Jones. Um, but if the Bears' defense plays well, assuming Allen Robinson doesn't hold out because of his contract, I'll take the Bears minus 5.5 because they should beat the Giants. And if they can't beat the Giants and cover, then I don't see them being able to cover many games, period, this year. So Bears minus 5.5. Yeah, I mean, as a Giants fan, um, uh, it was the first first little bit of the game. I was somewhat excited this past Monday night against the Steelers. Got off to a pretty good start. Couldn't punch the ball in. 
but uh, it all unraveled pretty quickly thereafter, as we saw much of last season, where uh, you know it, it was a comedy of errors. I, I think one of the the things that I would probably call out as the biggest surprises in Week One, which I wanted to say for this segment, is. Ben Roethlisberger outrushed Saquon Barkley, which uh, I don't think you probably could have got some pretty crazy odds on that. No one would ever predict that. Roethlisberger, 38 years old, coming off an injury. Um, Saquon, probably, you know, the one first or second ranked running back in the league. Um, so they had no offensive line protection. I think that was a big, big piece of it. Daniel Jones looked pretty good. He had a it was like a 17, 18 play drive. And then, of course, he threw an interception just before getting into the end zone. Uh, bringing back some memories of Eli Manning, um, but you know he 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 definitely looks pretty composed and and someone who if he has the right components around him I think can um, you know do a pretty good job. The issue, like Mike said, is against a good defense. I just can't see this Giants team uh, excelling. I think the Bears, you know, I you tell me if you think they're better than than the Steelers, but I think they're at least above average. Um, and the Giants on the road, never a great sign. So I think, unfortunately, I will go with the Bears and, and uh, you know, lay the five and a half points. Um, and uh, I think it's it's going to be hopefully closer than I expect. I know, Mike, uh, months ago we talked about this game. We go out to Chicago, and uh, it's actually my birthday on Sunday, so it would have been a great, great uh, time in person. But unfortunately, we couldn't make that happen this year. Um, but it'll be good to see our teams battle on Sunday afternoon. So, Mike Mandel, what are your thoughts on on this game? Do you agree with us? Uh, to an extent, um, you know, clearly both of the teams are more in a rebuilding mode than anything else. They're not really contending. Um, I, I also was impressed by the uh, the Bears' comeback against the Lions last week and. You know, even the Giants, I mean, they put up a fight against the Steelers, right? They, they had a really solid first half, even though they they ultimately fell apart in the second. Um, but They I, really know, had a good first quarter and a little bit. Then they kind of started falling apart pretty quickly. Okay, they gave up the enough. lead. You know, not, not, nonetheless, they, they, they didn't roll over for the Steelers, and, and that impressed me. And I think, you know, I do think that the Bears are the slightly better team here. Um and, you know, given the five-and-a-half-point spread, I don't know if the home team is getting the same three points this year that they, they do in prior years, given the lack of fans. Um, but if I had to choose, I would say that the Bears are going to win but not cover the spread. I think it'll be a fairly close matchup. Adam? I'm going to take the Giants with the points. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. So a low-scoring game, I think five-and-a-half is enticing. Um, you know, the Giants... Didn't play too well, but they still hung in there with Pittsburgh. I think they lost by 10. So I see them bouncing back. I think this new coach is disciplined. I think he'll make the right adjustments. Um, don't know if they'll pull out the win, but I do see them covering the spread in the five and a half points. How about your Jets? Are we doing that game now? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. My, Isn't that my, the game my, of the week? <laughs> my, my quick analysis on the Jets is that, uh, as expected, they look awful. They were undisciplined. They were poorly coached. There's not a single thing that they did well on Sunday. The offense was terrible. The defense was terrible. Uh, the, I guess you could say the punting was pretty good, so they did well there. Um, Le'Veon Bell is, is, was just placed on the IR, so he's going to miss the next three weeks. Uh, the 49ers, lock them up. 
uh, the, the spread should probably be double what it is. I think it's at seven points right now, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that number changes. But for the purpose of our podcast picks, we'll go with the plus seven, so I'm taking the Niners. I will disagree with you. I don't think the Niners, <coughs> excuse me, obviously look great in week one, traveling across the country. Sometimes week one, you, you kind of get a little bounce back in week two. I don't think the Jets are going to dominate the 49ers, but I think to be a home team and be a seven-point dog, that's that's not great. So I'll take the points. Mike Weil? There's no fans, so to me, home field is negligible this year. I'm going to take the 49ers plus seven. I agree with Adam. I'd be surprised if it was a close game. The only question is if the 49ers don't score, then you're in jeopardy because you have to give so many points. So I'll go with the 49ers plus seven. Um, They should cover unless it's a low-scoring game. Mike Mandel. And I I do think that the 49ers are going to beat the spread. They are the far better team. Um, The Jets... Um, hate to say it, Adam, but I, I do agree. I, I, you know, they did not show me much um, in their game last week against the Bills, um, and, and the 49ers are coming off of a tough loss. Um, which, by the way, I shouldn't declare victory yet, but so far my prediction about Arizona is, is going pretty well, um, beating the Niners in their home backyard. But I, I do think that they are going to bounce back, and you know, even with their cross-country travel without any fans. Um, they're probably going to stomp the Jets pretty hard. I'll probably have more to say as the season goes along about the Jets, but I think it's it's so frustrating in a 16-game season to basically feel like after week one, your team has no chance of competing. It's It's been like this for the last three or four seasons, and there's nothing worse as a fan than to feel like at the start of the season that your team has no chance to compete. Tough. Very true. What about the Eagles, Mike? So, you know, upon leaving the Eagles back in, I want to say, 2013, Mike Vick had wrote one of the best op-eds that, that I've ever seen from a player. I mean, he, he talked about the Philly fans being, you know, he said, well, some people say Philly fans are tough. I say they're fair. And, you know, I think in being tough and fair, it, it, it is fair to say that um, – they flat out embarrassed the city last week with with how poorly they played against, you know. Grant, granted, they um, they had some top picks on their defensive line, but the, you know, the the Washington team is still considered to be one of the worst in football. And um, if they play anything near that that poorly in any other game this season, it's going to be miserable. Um, that being said, there is a pretty recent history over the past two years of them having an abysmal performance, hitting rock bottom and then bouncing back. Um, they did that in 2018 after being destroyed 42-0 by the Saints. Same thing last season when the Cowboys whacked them. I think it was like you know, 47-10 to 10 or something like that. Um, and I think uh, th- this is going to be similar for them. They're going to bounce back from this. They know how angry the fans are. I'm guessing a lot of the players themselves are angry. Um, on top of the fact that you know they have matched up you know, in recent history quite well against the Rams. Um, I'd say ever since the you know 2017 when both teams had started to contend, um, Eagles beat them twice and both times in LA. Um, so I think that they're going to keep that going. Um, I like the matchup. I saw you had the Rams with a point and a half. I'm actually seeing that ESPN is even giving the Eagles a point, but I think either way the Eagles are going to cover that spread. It's going to be a closely fought game. Um, I think the Eagles will probably be within a touchdown. 
but ultimately they're going to bounce back. Um, they're going to beat the Rams. Nonetheless, I thank the Rams for taking out the Cowboys last week because I think that the Eagles' spirits are at least a little bit boosted by that. Um, it's not going to be a win for the Eagles, but it's at least half a win. Um, so I see this being a bounce-back week against a team that is solid, but not among the top in the NFL. I disagreed with all of you on the last pick, going with the Jets. Um, I will agree with most of what Mike said. I'm a little surprised at the number that I saw, which is the Eagles are the underdog by a point and a half. Um, I'm a little surprised they're not favored, even though you know they blew the week one game. They're at home, like you said. They, they often bounce back. The Rams, while you don't have the home field advantage that the Eagles typically, you know, have with the crowd, it's still, you know, the travel from L.A. and all that. Um, and while the Rams did beat the Cowboys, their their win wasn't the most dominant thing. I mean, they, they played pretty well, I thought. Uh, so I will agree with Mike and, and pick the Eagles to probably outright win this game. How about you, Mike Weil? Eagles plus one and a half. I love the plus one and a half because, as you said, the Rams have to travel cross country. I think that the Eagles are going to bounce back after a terrible week one. So Eagles plus one and a half. Adam. Uh, I'm going to be the the lone one here like I was for the Giants-Bears. I'm going to take the Rams. One and a half points to me is not enough to sway one way or another. So it's, it's basically a pickup game. Uh, the Rams looked really good last week. Uh, Malcolm Brown had a really nice game of running back. They've got a lot of offensive weapons. I know the Eagles can't really play much worse than they did last week, but without the home fans, I don't really see much of a home field advantage. I'm not concerned about the travel for the Rams. So I'm taking the Rams plus one and a half. And just to clarify, I believe Mike Mandel, you also picked the giants, right? In the first game. Um, Oh, yeah, I, I, I picked them to lose, but to beat the spread. Yes. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right cool. We, yep. we are we are taking notes on these, so we will yes. report accountability back in future week. Yes, of uh, where our standings lie um, as we pick these four games. Well, in this week there's four total because two of our teams are playing, but in some weeks there'll be five games. So moving on to the the last game, which is the the host pick, you could say, is um, what I've deemed the the game of the week this week, and I guess. The NFL agrees as they've made this the Sunday night game, which is the New Look Patriots traveling out west to the Seahawks, which they've had plenty of history with, including in the Super Bowl. Both teams coming off a great week one. Uh, we talked a bit about the Patriots. I think Adam did. Uh, the Seahawks went down to Atlanta and, um, you know, we're, we're up big and ended up winning by 13 against the Falcons. Russell Wilson threw for four touchdowns. 31 for 35 in passing attempts. That's pretty insane. Um, so for me, I just see this game being really close. And the four points is what would make me go with the Patriots. I could see it coming down to a field goal. Patriots potentially pulling out a win. I think I will take the Patriots and the points. How about you, Adam? Yeah, this is a really tough one. My, my head and my heart are telling me two different things. I am very high in the Patriots this uh, this season, and I love the way Cam Newton looked in week one, but I am going to take Seattle with a minus four. Um, their defense is really good. Uh, Russell Wilson looked like an MVP candidate in week one. Um, I think it should be competitive. This will be a real test for, for the Patriots. Uh, I wouldn't hold it against them if they get blown out. I think Seattle 
is a tough place to play with or without the fans. They're traveling cross country. Although I said that wasn't a factor for some of the other games, so maybe I'm I'm being hypocritical there. Um, I do I, I do like Seattle, um, but this is a great choice for for game of the week. I will be locked in for sure. Mike Mandel. Uh, for one, I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, I, I think both teams are going to score like crazy. There aren't going to be a lot of stops on defense, and you know probably not too many turnovers either. Um, when it when it comes to the uh, the spread, I'm going to take the Patriots here. Um, I think Cam Newton has been electric for them. Um, I think what you see now, you know, is a young, excited team, um, which is in contrast to the, you know, sort of the old team of veterans who've been, you know, consistently, um, you know, consistently terrific. Um, but the, yeah, the, the, this is just a different, new energy that I think the team is excited about, um, and I think um, in a high-scoring affair, they are ultimately going to. Overtake the Seahawks. I think it'll be a narrow win, but uh, you know, without the 12th man in uh, in Seattle, um, that, that that is a big advantage that the, the Seahawks are not going to have this time. I think if it was for the 12th man, I would pick them, but without it, I, I got to go with the Patriots. How about you, Wile? I'm going to go with the Seahawks here. I love the way Russell Wilson played last week. It's going to be very cool to see the dynamic Seattle offense against the stout Patriot defense. If the Patriot defense does what they did last year, I could very well see the Patriots at least, you know, covering or not covering, but taking care of the four point spread, if not winning. So, but overall, I like what Russell Wilson did last week. Chris Carson, everyone's questioning whether he was healthy. The Seahawks running back, he looked great. So to me, Patriots flying West and I know Seattle doesn't have the fans there, and it's not the same. But as far as the matchup is concerned, the Patriots no longer are the offense that they were. So to me, Seattle's offense combined with the impact Jamal Adams had on their defense, that's making me go with the, the Seahawks here with the four points. So I think they'll cover. Well, in our first week of doing these picks, which is uh, a little bit weird to start in week two, uh, we have a nice variety. None of us agreed on any of the games, so there's going to be uh, a bit of separation once we uh, look at the standings next week. So looking forward to seeing how we all end up and, and maybe continuing this moving forward. So we are about out of time, but before we say goodbye, as always, we will end with our final thoughts. Why don't we have the mics go first tonight? Mike Mandel, lead it off. So I'm going to speak directly to Carson Wentz in the off chance that he listens to this podcast here <laughs> because you know I, I know that Carson, ever since 2017, having won the Super Bowl but him not being able to play in that title game or in any of the playoff games, he's been hungry. He wants to do this on his own terms. Um, but each of the past few seasons, um, he has been beset by injuries one way or another. Um, you know, 2018 missing a huge chunk of it. Uh, last year being knocked out cheaply in his first playoff game. This is Carson's fifth year in the league. You know, I know what the Eagles are facing now. I know that, you know, yet again, they are hobbled by injuries. I know that they have an offensive line um, that, that might be questionable at best. Um, but this is his time to step up. Be the quarterback that leads this team to the promised land yet again. You know, be exactly who we wanted to be in 2017, the year that he probably would have won the MVP had he not been injured, the team that put us in position to be the top seed in the playoffs and to win that Super Bowl. I need him, in spite of everything else the Eagles are facing, and I think the entire city, to take the team on his shoulders, 
be that number two quarterback that we drafted, the potential MVP in 2017, and, and lead us to the promised land. Give us that second Super Bowl that the Eagles have never had. Mike Weil. All right, I have several final thoughts. I guess I'm sorry. They're their final thoughts, not final thought. One, again, pay Allen Robinson. He's the best player on the Bears offense. It's ridiculous. Give him a contract extension. Two, the White Sox are 22 and 5 in their last 27 games. They were 10 and 11. Now they're 32 and 16. I am super pumped. You guys were saying at the baseball preview when I said, look out for the White Sox. We'll see. They better be good. Guess what? They're good. And it's a year earlier than I thought. And they might very well win the division. And not only that, they might very well win the American League. So I think with respect to the other players having a great season, like Luke Voigt or Nelson Cruz or, of course, Mike Trout, and Shane Bieber should win the Cy Young, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, they should be 1-2 for MVP. They're having outstanding years, and you could pick either one. You'll be right. So shout-out to the White Sox again because I'm a homer. But they're twenty-two and five in their last twenty-seven. I mean, I don't think you can dispute that they are good. So, we will agree with you there, Adam. How about you? My final thought: This past Sunday, I experienced what I call a sports solstice. So, all four of my favorite sports teams played on the same day, which I don't think has ever happened before, and all four of them lost. It started off with the Jets, Week One against the Bills. They got blown out, embarrassed. Uh, they were down twenty-one nothing early. So, fortunately for me. I was able to transition to the next game, which was the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers at the time were up 3-2 uh, in the series. They, of course, lost to Denver, forcing a Game 7. So I was very upset about that. And the Islanders, who were, were uh, down 2-1 in the series, they lost Game 4 in heartbreaking fashion to go down 3-1. So at that point, I was very upset. And then to top it off, the Mets uh, were blown out by the Blue Jays, which pretty much unofficially ruled them out of, of postseason contention. It was a series that they they really needed to win uh, against a team that they should have beat, and they didn't. So I went a perfect or, I guess, imperfect 4 for 4 And uh, I have two, I guess, thoughts for final thoughts as well. One being, just to put a, put a close on what we were saying about the Yankees, where they had a great start to the season, 16-6. and six. Then I think they were 5-15. and 15. They've now won seven games in a row and have hit seven home runs tonight. They scored 20 runs yesterday, 13 tonight. So the offense is definitely clicking, which I'm excited to see. Uh, my other final thought is the U.S. Open tennis, which uh, I watched a good amount of. Uh, I think Adam and I were some of the few considering their ratings were down, I think between 40 and 50% since last year. The, the comment I wanted to make about it was not only were, you know, some of the top players missing, obviously we, we touched on Djokovic's, um, situation last week, but not having fans at the U S open had a much bigger effect than I would have thought. And in some ways it, it felt bigger than any other sport. I, I think that cavernous Arthur Ashe stadium and, I don't know. There wasn't really that fake crowd noise that we're getting in other sports. Maybe it's harder to replicate given that tennis crowd noise is, you know, you got to be quiet during the point and you're making noise afterwards. But it was a very hollow sounding and hollow feeling tournament. Um, it was very strange. And I hope we do not have to deal with that ever again. Hopefully that was a one year situation and we are back to normal by next fall. So with that, we are going to say goodbye for tonight. Thank you to our panelists, Adam Rosen, Mike Mandel, Mike Weil. 
I'm Ian Gus. Take care, and we'll see you again next week. Go Islanders.